0: Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, from Minneapolis, uh, land of everlasting winter. I am here um, talking to you on Ellie 2.0 radio on AM 950. I am back. I am here. I am, if you are on Facebook Live right now, I am live to you. And if you're not on Facebook Live, you're hearing me a week later. So, but at any rate, I want you to know, I am here. Um, Still in the midst of this crisis, um, but you know what? We're going to make this a relatively normal show. Unfortunately, it's a talking head show because it is extremely difficult to get guests to come on the show right at the moment, Um, but so what, okay? I am going to make this as normal as possible. Yes, I've got to talk about the virus a little bit, but but the majority of this show is the standard fare, what you get with me, the standard stuff about highlighting idealists, sharing stories about humans being good to each other, and reminding you of your own good, empathetic heart, because as you know what I've always said, we, 98% of us are good, empathetic people, 2% total sociopath, okay? But the other 98% of us are very, very good. And so... um Let's begin with our featured idealist. Um, In 1959, Catherine Hamlin and her husband Reginald, uh, who lived in Australia at the time, born in Australia, um, were both doctors. Together they answered an ad, (laughs) literally an ad in a medical journal. Uh, The name of the journal is The Lancet. It's one of the most esteemed medical journals even up till 2020. Um, But – In 1959, the country of Ethiopia had placed an ad um, asking um, for an obstetrician and gynecologist to travel to the country um, to establish a midwifery school to help women who had suffered obstetric fistulas in childbirth. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, and I certainly didn't before I started to research this. An obstetric fistula is an injury to the birth canal caused by a difficult birth. Um, sometimes the baby gets stuck, and often, um, women who have obstetric fistulas, uh, the baby does not survive the birth. Um, but the, the trauma from the birth results in a hole from the birth canal that extends either to the bladder or, um, or to, uh, or to the rectum, and results in human waste going, exiting not through the bladder or the rectum, but exiting through the vagina. For women who uh, suffer from obstetric um, fistulas, there is a great deal of shame. Um, often, uh, the women are banished from their villages or are forced to live in a hut at the edge of the village. Um, and it turns out that Catherine Hamlin was both a gynecologist and an obstetrician. And she fit the bill, the ad placed by the country of Ethiopia, perfectly. Um, and uh, and and the the other interesting fact is that Catherine Hamlin and her husband had never actually witnessed or seen an obstructive obstetric fistula um, in their practices in Australia because they don't occur in the developed world because almost all women in the developed world are accompanied by a doctor or at least a nurse at the time of delivery. So this was a rarity, but it did not stop Catherine and her husband from packing up in 1959 along with their six-year-old son and moving to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, where they began the hard work of creating a midwifery school from the ground up. This is 1959. I mean, this is, you know, Ethiopia – um, if you're from Ethiopia and you're listening to my show right now, I want you to know that I hold Ethiopians in extremely high esteem. Uh, you will have a rich history of great and grand um, education and achievements. But in 1959, Ethiopia was um, – uh, very much a, a third world country, and, and but you have these Australians and their six year old son who'd say we're going to go to a, we're going to go to Ethiopia. We're going to build um, this midwifery school. By 1974, so twenty some odd years later, they had established a hospital, the Addis Ababa Fistula Hospital, which as of this date, 2020, has treated more than 60,000 patients, mostly all women who had suffered. Um, injury and childbirth. Catherine's husband, Reginald, died in 1993. But Catherine continued the mission, living on the grounds of the fistula hospital uh, that, uh, that they built um, 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 after establishing the midwifery school. In 2014, New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof – you know that I quote Kristof quite a bit because Kristof is one of my heroes. He wrote about Catherine, calling her a 21st century Mother Teresa. She was 90 years old at the time he wrote that in 2014 um, and she was still treating patients. Um, She had, in fact, uh, the country of Ethiopia had nominated her for a Pulitzer Prize, uh, the Pulitzer Peace Prize, um, although she did not get it. Um, She's gotten a whole lot of other awards. And if you just go to Wikipedia, Catherine Hamlin, H-A-M-L-I-N, you'll see all the awards that she's gotten. One of the hallmarks of Catherine's work was that she empowered the very women that she had helped. So some of her patients went on to become midwives themselves, and they returned to rural areas in Ethiopia. Or they actually taught in the fistula hospital. Um, uh, and that's all very important because even as of today, 85% of all births in e- Ethiopia occur without a doctor or a nurse present. So having a midwife who is trained on how to prevent fistulas from occurring um, is incredibly important. So just imagine you and your family answering an ad in a magazine, traveling thousands of miles to a strange place, and then devoting the rest of your life to that new place. Frankly, um, that's uh, what some idealists do. Um, And you know what? Catherine was such an idealist. Catherine died on March 18th. Um, At the age of 96, we lost a really, really good one when she passed. Remember that name, please. Catherine Hamlin. um, Idealist. um, Adventurer. Human. Really, really great. Thanks. All right, when we come back from uh, the break, I'm going to give you um, some good stories about how humans are good to each other and talk a little bit about universal basic income, which uh, is being kicked around right now by uh, the Senate. Um, and let's talk a little bit about that. If you like what you hear, visit my website at com. Email me at Krug at gmail.com. I would particularly love to hear from you right now because – I would love to know what you're what you're interested in hearing me talk about. All right. Now we'll have an outtake music, and we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Hi, Alex of Better Futures Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mentioned that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. Book your 60 minute complimentary consultation, including a 15 minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. I'm here. Oh, and by the way, we've got people on Facebook Live uh, watching. Hey, I'm going to do a shout out to Curtis, Rachel, and Brian. You sent in comments. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being here. Um, we are doing our best to give you a degree of normalcy today um, because uh, I think we all really need it. And so you know my normalcy is, is reminding you about how good humans are. Because, um, you know, it's very difficult for us at times to remember that. And uh, even what's what's going on right now, we're seeing wonderful – I'm seeing wonderful videos on uh, Twitter about people playing music. I, I saw yesterday about, you know, some uh, 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 Spanish uh, policemen playing music in the middle of a street and dancing around. It was wonderful. Um, but we need to remember that all of us are good – I mean – and so here's a great story. Okay. This is from CNN. Um, uh, It's a story about um, Goldsboro, North Carolina, police officer named Michael Rivers. So uh, last month, Michael Rivers was on patrol and saw a woman on a corner. Um, You know how we see people on corners um, asking for handouts. Um, And uh, in a, I can't come up with another phrase other than "handout," and I don't want to be demeaning or marginalizing by using that phrase. But the woman had on her shirt um, the fa- uh, homeless colon the fastest way of becoming a nobody. So Michael is on patrol. Um, he sees her and you know catches her eye, and they both kind of do "hey," and then Michael you know turns the corner and drives away. But there was something about the woman, and then there was something about Michael's empathetic heart. Now, remember, Michael, Goldsboro, North Carolina police officer. There was something about Michael's empathetic heart that made him go back to the woman. He goes back. He rolls down the window, and he says, "Uh, hey, have you had lunch yet today? And she said, no. He said, I'll be right back. So he proceeds to a pizza place. He orders two pizzas and a couple of sodas, and he goes back to the woman. And they sit down and they talk. And we know this because somebody, just a random citizen, drove by – and saw Michael sitting on the ground. He's got his – I'm, I'm going to just describe for you now. He's sitting on some kind of a box with his legs crossed. He's got a, he's got a pizza box in one hand and a soda in the other. And the woman, she has um, a pizza box on her hand and the soda is at her feet. And they're both engaged talking to each other. They talked for about 45 minutes. And Michael discovered um, that he – that the woman's name was Michelle. We don't have a last name and that Michelle and her husband were homeless. Um, In fact, Michelle's husband was across the street um, at another, you know, the other part of the intersection asking for handouts. Uh, Michelle shared that she had a 23-year-old son um, on his own and then had a daughter, a 12-year-old daughter who was in foster foster care who had liver disease. Now, remember, one of the things of my work is that you can never tell somebody's story Simply by looking at them. I've got a twist for that with you in a second. But you can't. You don't know simply by looking at one what all they are struggling. What all they have on their plate. What all they are contending with about surviving the human condition. So Michael and Michelle have this conversation for 45 minutes. And then Michael, he drives away and he, and he, he says that he realized that both he and Michelle had something in common. That commonality was, or is, that both are other in our society. Homeless people certainly are shunned. Um, many shun them and blame them that being homeless is their fault. Of course, cops, police officers, are all thought of as bad apples. Um, you know, and of course, there are police officers that um, you know uh, shouldn't be cops. But the vast majority of police officers are on the job; they're doing their work because they care about humans. And the great thing that Michael said is that you know. Um, his work, the, the way he comes to work is that he he's not intent on ruining anybody's day. Quote, Michael, Michael said this, quote, I come to work and my method is, who can I bless today? Who can I make smile? I'm not the one. Some other way and put them in jail, unquote. Now, um, you know, and, and the other great aspect of this story is that um, – this was not a staged event. I mean, it was a passerby, just a random citizen who saw this going on. Because it's kind of odd to see a cop sitting on a street, you know, corner um, on the ground uh, having pizza with, um, a, you know, a, a, a single person. And the thing that I love about it is that. It was not staged. It just happened. And the person, the passerby, put it on their Facebook page and said, look at this, what's going on in our community. Look at how our police officers engaging with members of the community like this. And then, of course, then the police department saw it and then, of course, it, it kind of goes viral. But I loved that it was not intentional for Michael to do this. He was just doing it out of the goodness of his heart. And so um, that part I love. Now, here's the twist for you, my listeners, okay? Because I've been sharing with you for the last, I don't know, eight, eight or nine minutes, uh, seven or eight minutes, about this police officer named Michael Rivers um, out of uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina, and a woman named Michelle, who's homeless. I've been sharing with you, listeners, as I've been sharing with you, In your mind, what color of skin did you visualize Michael Rivers having? And what color of skin did you visualize Michelle, the homeless person, having? And if you thought Michael Rivers was white color, and Michelle, the homeless person, was of a different color other than white You're wrong. Michael Rivers, African-American. Michelle, as white color as they come. Think about that. If you had put the colors the other way around, just think of what society has taught you and me and continues to teach us. The world is a much different place in reality. People have all kinds of things going on, and people have good, empathetic hearts. I thought you'd like that story. (laughs) I love sharing it. All right. When we come back, um, I'm going to give you uh, some more information. We're going to talk about universal basic income. What is it and how does it work and what can it do? All right. I hope you're enjoying this show. Thanks for being on Facebook. Share about it, please. We are trying to get LE 2.0 radio even more international than it already is. Thanks. We'll be back in a minute. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM 950 sent you. We're back on AM 950, Ellie 2.0 Radio. You're listening to me, Ellie Crew, giving you a dose, a strong dose of normalcy. Um, and I hope that you are enjoying that, okay? Um, and, um, and I'm going to continue to do that. So, all right. So, um, universal basic income, all right? For many uh, people, uh, that was a phrase that folks did not – had never even heard of before Andrew Yang got into the presidential election. But that was one of Andrew Yang's big things. He, his big thing was that we give every American a thousand dollars a month, um, you know, just a thousand dollars basic income to live on, and see what that would do to transform the economy and transform the country and the living standards of all Americans. Um, Andrew uh, Yang uh, no longer in the presidential campaign, but this idea about universal basic income actually is a real idea. Um, it's actually been tried in Stockton. California and there's a, a piece in the uh, Guardian uh, that I came across uh, um, uh, and I don't have the date of it and I for some reason uh, the name of the author is uh, I think it's Lewis Beckett um, is a, a little blurred but um, there is a Stockton um, you may not know this but Stockton has its uh, serious challenges uh, Stockton California has its serious challenges around um, disparities um, and very serious challenges um, as well as crime. And what um, the 29-year-old mayor – yeah, you just heard that right. Mayor, mayor Michael Tubbs, uh, the 29-year-old mayor of Stockton, California, was that he was able to get the city council to go along with the idea of basic universal income for a test group of people. Um, and the test group of folks was, is um, 125 people. So this is from since uh, February of 2019, they began to give 125 local residents um, $500 a month to spend on whatever they chose. Now, the trade-off was that these residents had to continue to go to focus groups and answer questionnaires and all that kind of stuff about what they spent that money on, but no strings. They could spend it on whatever they wanted to. And um, and that experiment continues to the future. I mean I'd like to right now. Um, what they found was uh, that people did not waste that money um, and that in fact that $500 every month, uh, folks have been spending it very rationally. Um, for some people, it's paid for medical or dental needs. Um uh you know another person uh, took some time off uh, to interview for a better job that would would pay um, would pay more money. So you know, they built into their calendar less time at work, hourly job. They used the five hundred dollars to substitute that and then they went off and they interviewed for a better job. The largest um, thing that people have been spending the five hundred dollars on is food food to feed their families. Um, to give them better and healthier choices. You know, so obviously, I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions. We, you know, but I'm not reading anywhere here. People are going out and blowing it on a, you know, on a binge or let's head to Vegas or anything like that. Um, you know, and Mayor, uh, Mayor Tubbs uh, has some advice for Congress right now. So as I am... As I'm speaking right at this moment, um, so we're taping this. Remember, I'm always talking about the fact that this is not a live show, although um, perhaps (laughs) maybe we're headed towards live shows. I don't know. Um, But so on this date, on March 23rd, uh, the Senate right now is trying to deal, uh, debate, trying to figure out how uh, there's going to be a trillion-some-odd dollars um, or maybe several trillion-odd-some-odd dollars doled out to jumpstart the economy. I think it's kind of crazy about bailing out corporations, but let's not go down that road. But one of the things that Democratic senators and over in the House, certainly the House, is advocating for is universal basic income uh, for the duration – of the virus crisis Um, and universal basic income, you know, somewhere in the range of a thousand to $2,500 a month uh, for, you know, the next several months. I think it's a brilliant idea and I think it's a way more brilliant idea than giving casinos 50 billion bucks uh, so that they can, you know, remain in business. Uh, Mayor Tubbs uh, challenges Congress to actually think bigger than that. Um, uh, his idea is to have uh, you know he rationalizes that that you know remember most Americans don 't have even four hundred dollars uh, as a cash reserve for major uh, problems for major unexpected emergencies and Mayor Tubbs has this idea that you know using the median income. Uh, to save uh, if, you, if you rationalize out the median income of $2,500 a month to save that that would give everybody a cushion of $7,500 so he suggests giving everyone $2,500 a month for a year um, as a form of universal basic income um, and I uh, you know um, why not why not try it because whatever else we've been doing is not working One of the things that we're seeing right now – remember, I'm trying to give you a normal show, but I have to talk about this. One of the things we're seeing right now is how the disparities in our country are just absolutely coming back to haunt us and i 've got to tell you it is getting more and more uncomfortable for me to see people who are homeless more and more uncomfortable for me to to see people who are who are working two jobs, hearing about them working two jobs that are minimum wage. Now remember the vast majority of the states in our country, the minimum wage still is about seven twenty five an hour. Um, I could be 795 I don't it, but you know you get in the idea it's not 15 bucks an hour in the majority of our country and so you have people working two jobs a week I mean a day um trying to make ends meet and they're still living in poverty and so you know and if for a family of four the poverty level is about $24,500 that's the poverty level if you make more than that you, then you start you don't get the benefit of some government uh programs so it's not working what we've been doing, and so as your ideal, your resident idealist here, Eli Krug, um, I'm just saying, why don't we use our imagination and try something different? Why don't we? What are the odds of that happening um, with this Senate? Uh, not good. What are the odds of that happening this time? You know, next year, um, hopefully after the election first of all, has been held, and secondly, has gone the way that it needs to go, um, I think the odds may be much better. So, all right. So, universal basic income. Now, I want to shift gears, and I want to talk about an NPR story uh, that Gabriel Emanuel um, put out um, through uh, WGBH in on February 29, 2020. Uh, the, the title of the story is, quote, the cruel story behind the reverse freedom riders, unquote. Now, um, I had not known this, okay, and I'm, and I'm sure many of you listen to NPR when you're, you know, the, the few moments that you're not listening to this station. Um, but I learned about this from this story. So it's a little-known historical fact from the early 1960s. Southern segregationists and white supremacists sought to Fight back against the civil right, – the budding civil rights movement. No. by the early 60s, remember, we've already had the – we've already had Rosa Parks. We've already had the Birmingham uh, bus boycott. We've, we had already, we've already had um, uh, Freedom Riders starting to go down to the south we're, and we're starting to get now the lunch counter protests and all of that stuff. Um, and so segregationist white supremacists like we're going to fight back. We're going to use our imagination – I got to give them credit for that. So what they did is they started advertising in local papers about all pay, all expense paid trip north for people willing to relocate to the north, where where they had arranged, in theory, quote unquote theory, for jobs for these folks in the north. And what they did is they targeted African American families um, with uh, where it was single mother with children or. Um, Persons with criminal records because the idea was they wanted to send – the segregationists wanted to send these people north where they would then – would be a quote-unquote burden on the welfare system in the north. So as um, Gabriel Emanuel's story relates, um, in Arkansas, segregationists – recruited African-American families with those stories. Um, the segregationists paid for the bus tickets, and they sent them north. Many of them were sent to Hyannis, Massachusetts. Now, those of you who have, um, are of my age, you know that Hyannis is synonymous with the Kennedy family. Because in Hyannis, on the, on the ocean, there is, quote-unquote, the Kennedy compound, um, where the Kennedy family... Um, You know, all those pictures about the Kennedys playing touch football and all of that stuff, a lot of those pictures are from Hyannis. So the segregationists thought that they would send people to Hyannis as a way to make a point, to go to President Kennedy. In fact, um, they promised people uh, that they'd get to meet the president if they got on the bus and went to Hyannis. Um, And – uh, you know, once, of course, the African-American folks were in Hyannis and in the uh, Northeast and other places, they realized they had been set up, that there had been pawns in a controversy over trying to preserve Jim Crow. Um now, in Hyannis, uh, there actually had been a, a group uh, created there that called the Refugee Relief Committee that was actually meeting people at the buses and trying to get them set up. And, um Eventually, there were enough folks from the south in uh, Massachusetts that the Refugee Relief Committee convinced a Massachusetts governor to house these folks in, in empty barracks at Otis Air Force Base. Not great housing, if you ask me, but at least it was – there was a roof over people's heads. Um, now, unfortunately, because – um <laughs> Because in the 1960s, uh, racism wasn't confined just to the South. As well as I think I could make that statement, in the 2020s, racism is not just confined to a particular place in this country. The folks that moved, um, that were tricked into moving to the North, um, you know, they experienced racism on their on their own. So they expe- experienced racism from Northerners. And these folks, many of the, I mean, these people had left their families, so they had actually no support network living in uh, Massachusetts, and so many of them um, ended up uh, doing low-paying jobs like cleaning houses, um, and you know, living in, um, uh, you know, low-income apartment um, areas, uh, and and so, you know. The end of the story, the arc of the story is that things were really not better um, for the folks that relocated compared to where they had left. Um, and in some cases, of course it was worse because they didn't have their family with them. Now the other thing about this story is it does it does show how cruel um, people can be. You know, and of course, that cruelty continues even to today. Of course, we're also far more aware of the need to be um, more egalitarian and accepting of all humans. We're far more aware of this phrase, other, and othering. And uh, today, I mean, I this is partly why I'm an idealist, because I do believe that today things are different. I do believe, I mean, who knows how much different they're going to be after we get past this crisis. But I do believe that, that, that people are... I mean from my work going across North America of, of speaking about how to be more welcoming to anybody who is other and me seeing the reactions of people in audiences about how, they, how engaged they were with my work and with my words and how – I mean even today. I mean before I did this show, I have two emails from people saying, Ellie, I'd like to share this with you because this reminds me of something that you would say. Um, about how humans are good to each other and how we can get past all of our differences, you know. And and so, um, you know, this, you're hearing me, the uh, idealist Ellie Krug, saying this to you. And I'm saying this to you right now, in March of 2020. I am saying this to you. Do not lose sight of the fact that humans care about each other. We do. And, and it's, you know, it's all coming out that caring. All you have to do is go on Twitter. Yes, Twitter's. You know, it makes you think that people don't like each other too. But right now in Twitter, I am amazed by the number of, of positive stories that are coming out about how humans are being good to each other. Go find those stories. Go laugh at some of the things that people are putting on Twitter because they're in isolation. They're coming, they're using their imagination and coming up with all of these kinds of things. And so you can do that. Okay. Um, I believe in you, and I believe in our country. I continue to believe in our country. I will not stop believing in the power of our empathetic hearts. Okay, when we come back, I'm going to give you my C-block, share a little bit about something about paying something forward, and uh, give you a little bit of a cheerleading, okay? All right, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio, live and real, at least on Facebook. Did you know there's deconstruction funding available now for homeowners and contractors in Hennepin County? If you are embarking on a remodel or teardown this year, consider hiring Better Futures Minnesota's deconstruction crews instead of demolition. By taking a house or building apart by hand instead of destroying it with heavy equipment, the materials can be reused or recycled instead of going into the landfill. It is much more cost effective and is a carbon neutral solution. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Business Services to learn more. Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, micro-needling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. We're back on AM 950. Um, My show, LE 2.0 Radio, is just like heaven if you ask me. That was the cure. That was their song. I just had to do that. I hope that I'm like trying to make you laugh. I'm trying to give you a smile. Oh, and look, I just gave you a southern accent too. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. So here we are in my C block. All right. Where I talk about my work as an idealist. Um, Which, uh, you know, my work has been curtailed quite a bit because my bread and butter work as well as the stuff that helps pay the bills um, is me standing in front of audiences talking about human inclusivity, um, that inclusivity is the extent to which humans feel as if they matter. And, um, you know, helping give people tool sets and strategies on how to be welcoming to anybody who is considered other. Uh, Let's just say that work is on hold, I'd say. okay. Um, I have no idea when I will be standing in front of an audience next. No idea. Hopefully it will be not in the far too distant future. However – other work about being an idealist, okay, my other idealistic work um, continues. So, um, for example, this radio show, this is part of my work, part of my outreach to America. And as long as I stay healthy, you will continue to hear my voice every Monday uh, morning from 7 to 8 a.m. You will. And on days that I tape, you know, sometimes you get to hear my voice twice in one week. Um, but Uh, This is part of my idealism about trying to make the world a better place. Hopefully, I'm doing that a little bit today. Um, Also, my idealism continues in the form of my newsletter. So, you know, last week I talked about it. I mean, I got the newsletter out last week. The newsletter Ripple and uh, it has that name because it's named after a a speech that Robert F. Kennedy gave um, in June of 1966 in Cape Town, South Africa at the height of apartheid. And Bobby Kennedy went to South Africa and spoke out against apartheid. I mean he went and spoke truth um, to power and uh, he talked about um, how um, individual uh, ripples of hope. Uh, work to create a a river of change um, for all humanity it does and it's the way it works so that's why the newsletter is named The Ripple Um, if you would like to get my newsletter will you do me a favor and go to my website at elliekrug.com you'll see on the menu bar newsletter a bar for newsletter you can sign up for it you can even click on like I don't know 40 different issues of The Ripple um, and, uh, and if you do click on it, you'll see a, that story about Michael Rivers, the cop and the homeless woman. You get to see the picture of the two of them having pizza. So please sign up for my newsletter. It, right now it goes out to close to 9,500 people. And um, my idealism continues in the form of my writing. So I am working on my second book. I think I've talked about it. The minted woman engages with the world. I finally settled on a, a relatively long title. Um, we'll see if that makes it through my beta readers. But um, I re- my book is about what it is it like um, to go through the world as me, as Ellie Krug, as a transgender woman whose voice does not match her appearance. Okay. And so, you know what? Suddenly I have all kinds of time. <laughs> I just clapped <laughs> all kinds of time uh, to write my book. And uh, since the uh, the 3rd of March, uh, I have put together 40,000 words of what I call 90 to 95% quality. In other words, these are most of these words are going to show up on a page uh, that somebody will be reading. Hopefully many people will be reading. Um, And may now, because uh, I suddenly have all of this time, I may now be able to get the book published by the end of the year. Stay tuned. Um, And I don't need to be in front of – I mean I can do everything to get that book published. I can do it all electronically with with editors and other folks. Um, and right now I'm also working, uh, to further my idealism on an online platform to do some motivational and mindfulness kinds of talks. So stay tuned for that. I will, I will talk about that on my Facebook page. By the way, if you want to, my Facebook page is, um, Ellen Krug. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, in Minneapolis, you can find me. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, Instagram, uh, and I'm posting some things on Instagram. The, uh, the Instagram handle is at Ellie J. Krug on Instagram and on Twitter. You can follow me at at Ellie Krug. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to see that I'm a little bit more strident in the things that I write about uh, on on Twitter. So there you go. Let me share just a story about paying something forward. Okay. Now, those of you who have read my book, Getting to Ellen, okay, you know I write in that about um, having a fast food addiction. Yes, there are a number of things that I'm just kind of addicted to, okay, One of those is Mcdonald's. I know sorry and and well, and every once in a while uh, um Burger King they have wonderful onion rings um and every once rare once in a while, taco Bell, but McDonald's is my bread and butter and last week, I was out. um I had to go do a favor for my daughter. Uh, that had me going to the post office because I didn't want to run out of stamps. And it happens that there's a McDonald's close to where the post office was that I went to. And you know what? I'm like, Ellie, we're going to give you a little reward today. Let's be good to yourself, Ellie. Okay? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I got – I went over to McDonald's. Of course, the restaurant's not open, but the drive-through is – and, you know, it was, um, it was a little crowded. And I just like, Ellie, this Big Mac is going to be worth it. Just settle down. Just get in line. And I did that. So I ordered the Big Mac. And it was one of these fast food, you know, McDonald's where you, you have two different lines where you can order, you know. And then, you know, you got to kind of do that merging, you know, from one line to the other. And I was on the outside la- line. There was a big truck, big white pickup truck. I don't know if it was a pickup. It was a big, maybe a Suburban in front of me or on the side of me. And it came time to merge, okay? And it was my turn to merge. But guess what? That truck got ahead of me. And I'm like, oh, that was not – I didn't appreciate that. And so, of course, uh, that truck goes up. It goes up to the pay window. And then there was the window past that where you get your food. Um, you know, we're all inching. that truck goes, to the pay window, it goes forward. And then I go to the, I go to the pay window and, uh, the McDonald's person behind, you know, with the little headset on says, uh, you're, um, I, I'm not certain. Were you the one with the big Mac and, and French fry? And I said, yes, that's me. I said, that truck cut me off. Um, that's why you're uncertain. And you know what the McDonald's person said? She said, um, they paid for you, Ellie. Well, they shouldn't know my name was Ellie. She said, they paid for you. I'm like, what? She said, they paid your bill. You know, and it was like eight eight bucks, something like that. And I'm like, holy cow. So the truck knew they had cut me off and apparently they felt bad about it and they paid for my uh, meal, which I thought was darn decent, really decent. And of course, everything changed. And I just snapped my finger if you didn't hear that. Everything changed in that second about how I viewed that driver of that big white truck, big white Suburban. And at that moment, as I heard this, I'm holding out, you know, my money to pay for my uh, food. And I said, OK, how much is, wh- what is the person behind me getting? And she said, Well, it was an orange juice and an egg McMuffin or something. I don't know. I guess you can still get that at lunchtime. I said, How much is it? It was a little bit more than mine. I fished out another one out of my purse. I gave it to her and I said, okay, I just paid for the person behind me. And the young McDonald's person got wide eyes and said, really? And I'm like, yeah, really. Paying it forward. Okay, I've got not much time left. I just want to tell you this, okay? The virus will not take our compassion It will not take our hearts. The virus will not take our love. It will not take our souls, and it will not take your grit or your resiliency. I care about you. If you need someone to talk to, email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. We will set up a call. We will set up some kind of Zoom. We will do that. I mean that because I care about you. I am here for you. A big thanks to my sponsors, Brendan Electrolysis, and to Better Futures Minnesota. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Now, you, you we're all hearing about our heroes, okay? Brett Johnson, the guy who comes, comes in here and is doing these shows, producing them, he is a hero. Give him a shout out on Facebook, would you please? To you, my listeners, I care about you. I'm here for you, and I will be back next week giving you some normalcy. Take care and be well. Bye-bye.